everyone, and welcome back to Indomitable Conversations, our series of discussions that aim to shed light on the incredible resilience of foster care survivors and spark vital conversations about reforming the foster care system in the United States. I'm Di Sfrullo, author of Indomitable, A Foster Care Story, and I am truly thrilled to have you here with us for our second session. Before we dive into today's inspiring conversation, I want to express my gratitude for the overwhelming support I've received since the release of my book just yesterday. Your love and support reaffirm our shared commitment to making meaningful impact. But Indomitable Conversations isn't just about the stories. It's about building bridges and fostering change. That's why I'm so excited to announce that in the days ahead, we'll be featuring sessions with social workers, advocates, and foster parents. These essential voices will provide valuable insights into the pitfalls of the foster care system and the role we can all play in reforming it. So mark your calendars and spread the word about our upcoming sessions. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of those we are responsible for and those who need us most. Additionally, if you haven't already, going to do a small plug here, I invite you to grab a copy of Indomitable, A Foster Care Story. Thank you for being in community with us. I am so grateful to have you. Our guest tonight is C. Eshelman. C. has been a marriage and family therapist for nearly 40 years. She opened the Attach Place Center for Strengthening Relationships after years of struggling to help, excuse me, to find help with the attachment challenges and complex trauma of her two children that she brought home from the foster care system over 24 years ago. Happily, they are all grown now, living independent lives of their own. It has become her life's mission to support adoptive parents in healing the wounded hearts of their children children while thriving at the same time. Through years of study with most of the great attachment and trauma thinkers of our time, she, excuse me, with the most, <laughs> I can't read today, she has grown her understanding and deep practice of being with those who are healing from the everyday painful events of life, as well as the extraordinary tra traumas that can derail relationships from childhood. She believes in her bones, Love Matters. C created the Love Matters Parenting Society online community for adoptive parents just before the pandemic hit, and it was right on time. Adoptive parents now get a deep dive into therapeutic parenting strategies, an exploration into their own childhood experiences and adversities, and access to the best thinkers of our time on how trauma impacts the neuropsychological development of children. All that and a great community of parents to grow with and be supported by. Finally, her Unmuted Love podcast is live for anyone who wants to take a fresh look at parenting children from difficult beginnings and helping them heal from the inside out. Wow. See, thank you for joining us today. That sounds really good. It does. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> it is actually really great. It's just, it really sounds good too. It, it really sounds great. I love it. Okay. So tell us what brought you to this place of passion for supporting foster children? Well, I mean, it came from wanting children, right? Not being able to have children myself. I went to the foster care system to adopt kids, right? To, right. to um, have a family. And so I brought home my two beautiful children at two and three years old home. And wow. I was so delighted to have them. I'd waited until I was 40 years old to bring mm -hmm. them home. I'd been a therapist for like 15 years already. And I'm like, yes, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't all parents think we've got it right in the beginning before you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And I was like, Oh, uh oh, what have I done? <laughs> 
So that set me on a mission, right, right there to just save myself and my kids. Like, what is going on in my living room? What is happening here? You know, um, there wasn't very much. This is 24 years ago now. So there wasn't very much um, information anywhere on trauma or attachment or anything. Right. So I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. And you know, now I do. I know it. I know it very well. But boy, at right. the time, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward. My kids are all grown up now. But along the way, I searched far and wide, right, to find mm -hmm. help and to find information. I read everything. I mm -hmm. asked everybody. I went all over the world looking for help, um, and obviously couldn't find it a lot of the time. And a lot of times, found like not help, right? The yes. antithesis help yes um, made it worse made us worse um and so i've you know learned a lot i learned right. a lot i grew a lot and i was already a therapist so you know started attracting parents and um, parents of children from difficult beginnings all, right. all of them out of foster care mm -hmm. and all of them having been um harmed you know, um, with adverse childhood experiences and exposures before they got into foster care and then foster care right. and then adoption, right? So it's just like, boom, 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 boom. You know, by the time kids get to adoption, boy, they have been through the ringer. So yeah. I have a passion for the kids and the parents, right? It's like, we need to help folks who are doing their best right. to, help, to help this um, social situation that's pretty out of control. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about what behaviors are common in children that we see overcoming foster care since you were kind of right there anyway. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, pretty much every child that is in the foster care system has a, a number of adverse childhood experiences, right? That's so awesome. negative things have happened to them. And what that does is it, it changes a child's brain. Yeah. It makes them no longer, quote, typical. Now they're kids who are living with toxic stress. Mm. And that has changed their literal brain-body complex. Yeah. So they're not processing life, anything, relationships, um, situations in school, anything. They're not processing any of that in a neurotypical way, right? The way yeah. somebody who is um, unharmed and who is attached and who has no trauma. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so, but parents don't necessarily get that. And so right. they're com coming at those kids with traditional parenting strategies of, you know, kind of cause and effect, punishments, rewards. Right. And then of course that doesn't work. And then they add more. Of they course. try more, harder, work harder with that. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it doesn't work on brains that just aren't functioning in the same way because of toxic stress chemicals. And that causes dismaturity mm -hmm. and dysregulation. And those two things are common in every single child who is in the foster care system. Yes. And if you don't get that, then you aren't gonna be treating it properly, right? You're not gonna be parenting right. that child properly. You're gonna be causing them to have more toxic stress, not less. Right. So felt safety is everything. And traditional parenting is kind of the opposite. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Um, how would you say that a child like myself who has neurodiversity anyway, like ADHD, how might that impact one, a child's ability to, um, let's say, 
be <laughs> be capable of the types of things that we would need children to be capable of, such as like a really overarching thing like school or learning in a school environment? How might that impact their ability to function in that way? Are you talking about just the neurodiversity of ADHD? Oh, yes. So like not necessarily just ADHD, but when we're talking about sort of neurodiversity and how children's brains are impacted by foster care, I wonder how much more it would be exacerbated by something like having neurodiversity like ADHD or autism or any of those sorts of conditions. Right. It's exponential. Right. So we say we say things like it's 10 times greater in duration frequency um, and um, intensity. Right. It's 10 times. And then that's just trauma. And then right. if you add um, neurodiversity on top of that, now you're now it's just through the roof, right? So now a child who doesn't um, doesn't experience the world typically right. is is has trauma on top of that, so doesn't experience relationships typically, and then has someone come in and use punishments, controls, rewards in a way that they can't understand any of them. Right, they're going to be really really distressed. And really distressed kids have really big, baffling, concerning behaviors. And that's right. just the truth. Right. Absolutely. What types of behaviors do we normally see in those sorts of conditions? Well, we're going to see uh, crying, melting down, throwing fits, demanding, badgering. I mean, yeah. it's going to be like that sort of initially. And then if it's not dealt with very well, and even if it is, it may escalate into other things like, you know, lying, stealing, hoarding, running away, um, harming people, harming themselves, um, depression, anxiety. I mean, really the whole gamut, right? The whole um, DSM. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mental health. A lot of times um, kids, by the time they get to my office, they have like six or seven that suit diagnoses, right? I'm just like, okay, but we could probably put them all under complex trauma. Then we could probably pull out maybe one other or another, but they don't have seven, but they meet that criteria. And then parents are like, how am I supposed to parent that? Well, if you see a child that way, No, it is hard to parent them, but there's a child and they have complex trauma and that can be parented. Of course. It can be parented and it can be healed and and families can thrive and families can be families. It's just, they often get super, super mistreated. Right, right. It's just different, not not less, you know. I agree. No, No, absolutely. Um, Sorry to get you into the heavy stuff right away. (laughs) That's my job. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like, I'm just, I sort of, of course, we all see sort of the world and the situations through our own lenses. And sort of my situation was very much, as I say, exacerbated by the fact that I had ADHD. But I think that I was also sort of helped along by that because I was able to sort of close myself into my own little world and sort of, you know what I mean? I I definitely had the experience where reading probably saved my life and just Mm -hmm. escapism of reading and sort of all of those behaviors. Right. You know, those are, there are, you know, post-traumatic growth, mm-hmm. strength and resilience yes. comes yes. also from having all this. Of course. Right? Absolutely. You can adapt in a lot of different ways. Human brains are incredibly adaptive. Um, so what would you say are the most, 
what's the most common question you get from people when they're looking at becoming a foster parent or looking at adopting out of the foster care system? I know, well, right? Something, <laughs> no, I'm like, something on the order of, well, they'll only have these behaviors for like a year, right? And then they'll be normal. Right, right, of course. Of right? Course. And then, right? you know, right? And I'm like, like um, well, yeah. their brains are different. Their brains yeah. are different. So right. the answer is no to that question. And then they're like, oh, okay, two years? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this is a lifestyle change, right? It's a right. lifestyle change. Right. Parent children with um, brains that have been harmed by trauma and also right. might be neurodiverse. Right. Um, so no, you have to actually just reset. You have to reset right. how you think. You have to learn new skills. You have to look at your own history, right? What might have happened to you in your own childhood that uh, created your thinking about children and your right. parenting styles, your own attachment yes. style, your own trauma, right? There's a lot that gets Absolutely. pulled up. It, because, does any, it does anyway, right? Like right, if you sure. have children, having children brings it all up. Having children brings it all up. That's exactly right. I tell people that all the time because you know, you're constantly being represented with the levels that either you didn't pass previously, um, and then then you can either change your behavior and do better, or you know, just keep hitting the same level over and over and over again. Or at least that was my experience. I keep getting represented with the stuff that I had, you know, from before, because when I grew out of um, when I grew out of school age, right? I was like, okay, that was terrible. We're never having to worry about that again. We never have to think about it again. And then you have children and it's all fresh. You know what I mean? It's all right back there. And you're just oh, like, yeah. oh my God, we're here again. And then you're living it through like somebody that you're just so much more invested in than you were even were, you know, in yourself as a child, right? Oh, for crazy. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, do you work with people who are maybe um, trying to potentially reparent themselves or um, deal with other types of childhood trauma that aren't necessarily foster care? Oh, for sure. You know, right. I mean, actually, I think it's very hard to escape some adverse childhood experience. Absolutely. Yes. So you you might not call it big T trauma, but right. you probably have some kind of small T trauma. And right. and because, you know, you might have been spanked or right. you might have had uh, grief that showed up over something or you might have had alcoholism or you might have had, right. you know, um, somebody might have died that was close to you or right. somebody might have gone to prison or, you know, like mm -hmm. somebody might have had severe mental health issues. Um, and and it was just normal because you grew up with it, and of so you course. never thought of it as trauma. But yeah. then you get you get here where you have a child come into your home, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know how to do this. I right. just I feel like a bigger fit thrower than they are. You know, I feel even I, more dysregulated. Yeah, I just lay on the ground and throw a temper tantrum right now. Oh my god, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. And then helping them look at that, looking at all of that, looking at their story, healing all of that is is a precursor to learning how to therapeutically parent a child from difficult beginnings. Absolutely, hundred percent. Otherwise, you just can't do it. You can't no. do it. You're knuckling all the time. Which, right. Parenting like this. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think the thing I was the most surprised about when I finally sat down to write my stories down was the fact that. Um, 
I thought I was alone in them. Right. And like that, of course, that brings down all like the shame and everything. But then when people started reading it, the thing I am most struck by is how many people come straight back to me and say it was like you were living in my house with me. And these are not people that went through foster care. These are not people that went through sort of the overarching things that I went through, but the trauma situations seem to be the same and the behaviors seem to be the same and the resulting impacts seem to be the same. So when you talk about like big T trauma, it seems that it's all kind of same T trauma, right? Like it it, it impacts us in the same way. It impacts our brains and our behaviors. And I think that's honestly been the most incredible thing. I was, I've been stunned by how similar our experiences are as human Mm -hmm. beings going through this world, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. So a lot of times people say, um, like they'll come to me with a neurotypical child, no perceived trauma, um, but they're having difficulty. And then I ask them, well, what kind of parenting are you using? Traditional parenting. Mm. And the child's not thriving. And it's like, oh, well, um, so maybe that form of therapy, I mean, that that form of parenting is actually traumatizing. Right. And maybe, right. maybe actually just doing a form of, you know, more positive parenting, peaceful parenting, less mm. cause and thinking parenting would actually help your child. And so, yeah, no, parenting really needs to change. Absolutely, it does. All around, all around. Why do you think it, why do you think we're so, what do I mean? Why do we, why do you think that we are so slow to accept that parenting strategies need to change? Why do you think that we need to continue this, continue down this path of, well, I was hit and I turned out fine. Why do you think that that needs to continue for some of us? Well, that's a really good question. I've <laughs> asked myself that many times. <laughs> well, I'm going to be asking you all the questions I think on, and it's only me talking in here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like people don't always recognize the level of trauma they've experienced. And yes. since they don't, then they can think like that. They can say, well, I'm fine. And yet, you know, like, well, how happy are you? How good do you feel about yourself? What, you know, are you thriving? Do you feel like self-compassion? Do you take care of yourself? Do you know how to take care of others? And then sort of the truth comes out. I'm not as, I'm not as great as I thought I was, right? right? I'm more harmed than I realized when you put it that way. And so it's just really the lack of real awareness that they aren't, you know, like they aren't as okay as they, they think, and they know that, but they don't associate it with parenting style. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like everybody, we pass, we pass our parenting style down generation to generation. Unless somebody comes Mm -hmm. along and says, Hey, you know, you could do this differently. Do you know that it doesn't have to hurt to be a kid? Did you know it doesn't have to hurt to learn? Yes. Like if you got hit every time in Spanish class, if you got hit every time you got your Spanish wrong, do you think you'd learn Spanish better? No. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. And not only that, you'd avoid Spanish forever. You might avoid Spanish, you know, you might right. avoid <laughs> Spanish food. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <sighs> Anyhow, um, yeah, I've run into that quite a bit. People who are experiencing sort of, um, I got hit, but I turned out fine. But then also are living in scarcity mindsets with codependent relationships, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong here or what you think, but I think that has a lot to do with not 
I think it has something to do with the fact that they very much love their parents, right? And they cannot have the two thoughts existing at the same time, that they love their parents, but perhaps their parents harmed them in, in their in their own parenting, having not known any better or any of the, or passing down their own traumas, as we say. Um, it yeah. seems to me that those thoughts sometimes can't coexist within people. Um, so I yes. find that quite a bit. So um, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of what I have to help people or parents in particular learn is how to hold what we call a dialectic. Like these seemingly opposing things can co-occur. Right. Like I love my parents and they, they didn't know how to do it better. Right. Know? Right, absolutely. I can talk about what my parents did that wasn't good and still love them and honor them. Right, absolutely. And that's really the only way to heal is to look at things as they are, right? Okay, before we go off on another diatribe here. <laughs> so I mean, I know. We oh, could really talk for a long I time. I really could. I'm trying to be so cognizant of your time and I have lists of questions. So I'm trying to not go off into what my friend calls my diatribes. Okay, so... What types, I have a lot of folks that um, sort of follow along with me that are teachers and educators, community members, those sorts of things. What types of behaviors can community members be looking out for in kids that maybe need some support and perhaps not necessarily more punishment? Well, I think that's every kid, just so you that know. That is every kid, just so we know, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, agree to agree. <laughs> but if you have a child, Here's, here's what I think. If you have a child that repeats the same kinds of mistakes and you give them some kind of consequence and they do it again mm -hmm. and then they do it again, that is a child who is likely um, either has a trauma brain or is neurodiverse right. because their cause and effect, their, their prefrontal cortex is not working in the same way that you're expecting is that you could level some kind of consequence and they would learn from it. Right. If they aren't able to learn from it the first time or the second time, um, right. even a third time, like you might give it three shots, but they're still okay. not learning. That's a that's that should send up a kind of like, huh, I wonder what else is going on, like a curiosity flag. Yeah. I wonder what else is happening here, because that's not that doesn't seem quite like it's working. Right. 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 Like it's real simple. Yeah. What types of things could someone in that position do from there once the curiosity flag is up? Like what kinds of um, actions could they potentially take? Well, first of all, they could take the gas off, right? They could slow down, you know, kind of go low and slow, mm -hmm. go connecting rather than correcting, you know, instead of like, you know, consequences are correcting and connection is relational. So going relational, low and slow and building a relationship checking in, how are you doing? How can I help? Right. Coming from that place is really different than coming from a, you need to do it this way. And if you don't, you're going to get a punishment. Absolutely. Or if you do it this way, you get a reward. Those don't work either because it's still cause and effect. It's still cause and effect. Yes. Yeah. What kinds of, you know, air quotes, discipline never work. Not even just like you can start with all children and then we can move our way down if you wish, <laughs> but like what kinds of discipline just never work? Well, so I think your definition of works is really the issue. So you right. can you can spank a child into submission. Of you course. absolutely can, and it will work. Right. Until they get big enough to spank you back. Absolutely. Ooh. So, so um, even hitting works. 
You can bribe children. That works until they realize that you manipulated them and, and they start manipulating you back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, they're just, there are things that they work sort of, but there's right. going to be a long-term effect from that, that you aren't thinking about in that moment. Right. Um, so, you know, like parent your child um, the way you want to be treated when they become a teenager. <laughs> that is a tremendously intelligent thing to say. Um, anyhow, <laughs> so, um, gosh, I want to ask you 30,000 questions, but I'm just trying to stay calm here. So um, what would you say are some common misconceptions about foster kids? Um, well, I, you know, I don't know that there's anyone at the front side so much, but often at the back side, it would be that, well, look at their behavior. That's yeah. how they got themselves. They got themselves here because they had bad behavior, right? Yes, absolutely. I think, I think that's my, my adjacent question is, why do you think we as people or society need to believe that foster children who have ended up in this terrible situation are somehow um, responsible or in collaboration with the situation they find themselves in? Well, I think generally it's hard for people to take responsibility for themselves and it's hard. And so if it's failing or if the situation isn't going well, it's easier to project it onto the child than it is to go, I wonder if I'm doing something that's not working or if the child isn't, um, is, has trauma brain. And so they're, they don't learn easily then, you know, when, you know, it's easy to blame the child. It's like, well, look, they never learn, yeah. you know, we come up with kind of pat things that we can say to ourselves that make it somehow better to put it over there instead of just kind of, kind of working with it. And it's like, oh yeah, because your executive function isn't working, we need to help you with those lagging skills. You know, we need to help you grow some skills so that you could actually hear me when I talk and I could talk in a way that was gentle enough that wouldn't scare you so that you your ears still worked. And, you know, like that that's what has to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but that's very labor intensive. And that's, that in our culture, our culture is so fast paced. People are working really hard. They're moving really fast. Um, they're kind of absorbed in a lot of media, social media. They're kind of like distracted. Right. And parenting the way you have to with kids in the foster care or from the foster care system, um, it's a job. It's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard. So you need way more support to actually do that kind of parenting. And frankly, this is where the system kind of fails right. kids and parents, right? Because the like if you're if you are we're going to have systems where kids go from foster care or even starts in foster care with parents right those parents they need more support and then when kids go into adoptive homes the adoptive families need support way more support than they get to be able to do self care to be able to have respite to be able to have the kind of support in the home that they need at different times across raising you know children who have trauma brain if right people had more systemic support just at the get-go like this is what you get when you bring home a child from the foster care system and it's big mm -hmm. um, first of all more people would do it and secondly more people would not be so destroyed by it right because right? if you don't have any resources and you're dead dog tired and your child has a very hard time learning mm -hmm. from their 
takes, you know, I mean, the internet is full of, of groups where that are kind of child hating and they hate their children because they came from the system. Mm -hmm. they, you know, just no, there weren't enough supports. They didn't know how to do it. And they've, you know, they've just lost their heart for it and be, and become bitter. Right. Because the system doesn't support the whole thing. Right. And there's way more to supporting a family in foster care, but also in adoption. There's way more necessary. Society needs to provide more in order not to churn out these very harmed people. I mean, some people get through it, but some don't. Right. Absolutely. Most, I would say. I don't know that many people like me. Um, I'm, sure. I'm just, I'm thrilled to meet you. I like <laughs> I'm thrilled to meet you. I, I swear. I've had so many people say to me, oh, I'm an expert on this. I'm an expert on that. And I'm just like, but are you though? I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm touched by the fact that you became the person that you needed, right? Like you needed someone like you with your skill set, with your awareness, with your understanding, and you became that person rather than become bitter and angry and, and, you know, sort of face that outward. And I think that's an incredible thing. I think that is absolutely amazing. And I'm very proud of you. If, if, if one person can be proud of another, but I, I'm just, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I take it. And I give that back to you. I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you. That's so, that's such an incredible way to change the world. I'm, I'm just, I'm so amazed. I think that's fantastic. Um, so before I steal all your time, what is sort of, what is your ideal scenario? What sorts of things could we change? What would you like to see change um, in order to have the system become more supportive of potentially adoptive parents, foster parents, and, and foster kids in general? Well, it might start even into biological parents, right? It might go right. all the way back, right? Into right. like when kids are being born. Right. <laughs> right. Like giving support right there um, for parents so that they actually understand how to parent and how their own history is going to impact their child and then put supports around them so we can prevent some of it in the first place. We can't prevent all of it, but we could prevent a lot if there were systems in like really good systems, not just sort of like, you know, drops in the bucket systems, but yeah. ones that wrap their arms around families and made a community for them so that they could go and and um, socialize and have families get together and help each other. And just, you know, I think life used to be that way at some point. And then we became yeah. industrialized and we got way far away from that individualized and, yeah yes and i think we're really suffering as a result of that so i think it would start there with that kind of support and then should something still go awry then carrying that kind of support into the foster family yes. and then on into the adoptive family and really like and the supports need to be substantial so here's the thing let me just tell you that i know you're you don't know no, no, this is your time i'll take all evening if you've got the time i'll listen no nope, please so in California, um, we have something called a wraparound program. It's the kind of program you can get sometimes, not always, but sometimes you can get this support when your child is at risk of going into some kind of residential treatment or is a harm to themselves or um, someone else on a consistent basis, right? You can get this thing called wraparound services. The wraparound services are something like $14,000 a month to have this 
program come into your home and help you therapeutically parent your child, help you with respite, help you with self-care, get you kind of set up, right? Um, and then they can stay for like 18 months and then you're back to on your own, back to on your own. So what if, and, and the programs are hit and miss, right? Some of them are really, really good, really, really good. Um, but mostly not, mostly not really, really good. Mostly stretched really thin, not enough staff, not enough money, not enough money going into the hands of the parents for sure. Not enough staffing to let the parents have self-care, like just goes on and on. But what if you gave $14,000 a month to the parents for the life of the child? I mean, right. the childhood of the child, not the life, but the childhood, right? right. And then right. you have that much money to support wellness in right. their family. Like, whoa, that's yeah. a game changer. Absolutely. Okay, 14000 is a lot. What about 5000 Right. Right? I mean, right. 14000 is a lot. Mm -hmm. And like too much maybe. I think, but wow, you know, 5,000 could go a long way towards shoring up a family so that they could get the kind of wellness they need in order to go the long haul, right? It's a marathon. It's not, it's not a sprint. It doesn't get over like in a year and two years. It's the full childhood, right? And, right. and into adulthood. Yes. And, you know, if we say that um, kids with complex trauma, most of the time because of dismaturity and dysregulation are about chronologically half their age, then that, that means they get to like 27 before they start making 18 year old type judgment decisions. Right. Yes. You end up having to support your child in one way or another all the way to then. Not that a lot of people aren't, but in a completely different way. Right. right. So systems that really see, kids and families and how they're struggling. I can't even tell you. I mean, I know you know, but I can't tell the people who are listening how horrifying it is to love children and hate your life. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? Love your children yeah. and hate your life because it's not sustainable. Right. So that's what I deal with every day. And I try to teach them how to love their lives by slowing down, stepping out of the social pressures to keep up with it, that, mm -hmm. and to, you know, kind of go back in time a little bit to simpler ways and, um, you know, to be more present, show up emotionally, work less, you know, low and slow. Mm. And get to the finish line with wellness intact, with, with some sense of, you know, peace of mind and acceptance and love and you have your kids feel that way you know right. imagine getting to the you know 18 and and not loving your kids anymore and hating your life mm -hmm. like, what a sad tragic state of affairs absolutely no so no i'm not speaking for every family i'm just speaking for a lot of families yeah <laughs> well, you absolutely are that's a lot of families that I work with because I have a membership online. I have a lot of people from all over the world, actually, not just the country. And it's the stories are the same. Yes. Yes. I've seen that as well. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I <laughs> want to take a few questions. Do I get to ask you questions? Oh, please. Yes. I mean, if you've got the time, I'm I'm on Golden Girls Hour. This is already past my bedtime. Hit me. <laughs> Well, I mean, you've talked, I, I'm interested in, um, I cannot say this word, but I, I wish I could, indomitable. I, 
I swear I've never actually, I read that word all the time. I never say it. I have, as I say it out loud after my bedtime, I have big regrets about like the amount of syllables in that word. I practice it over and over and over again. <laughs> so I'm interested, how did you manage to go through what you went through and become you? I mean, how did you process all that? What was it that lifted you up into success and this much self-possession? So um, that was uh, a lot of questions. No, I know. <laughs> I'm, I have ADHD, so I'm going to follow the thread. I think I understand the broad strokes, right? <laughs> so, all right. So how, how the book? So I would say that um, my childhood was probably pretty impacted by the fact that I loved to read, right? As I was saying before, all the books I was reading, I was constant, like I um, grew up on PBS. So I would have, you know, um, folks like LeVar Burton telling me not to take his word for it. Um, you know, Mr. Rogers, who I felt like was a member of my family. I had these parasocial relationships with these incredible people that really cared, that looked across the screen and saw the children that they were there for and really decided to change the world. So I had sort of those types of, um, you know, relationships. And I was learning constantly through through reading that my life wasn't the way it's supposed to be or it wasn't the way it should be and that it wasn't necessarily my fault. Um, so the more I grew from that, um, when I aged out of the foster care system, I became homeless. And I realized that that was like, I was depressed and hurt and broken. But I also had this moment of clarity that I couldn't be hurt anymore unless I made that choice, right? So mm -hmm. I moved from Boston to Atlanta the way you only can when you're, you know, a 20-year-old making crazy, you know, insane decisions. Um, and I just started over. And I just kind of went about my life a little bit as if I were the person that I wanted to become. And that didn't change everything, but it changed enough to show me glimpses of what my life could be if I were to take sort of possession of the driver's seat again, right? Like if I were to guide my own life. Um, and I would say that like, I would obsessively remember the stories and obsessively remember what had happened. And I would score keep in my mind. And I was like every foster kid ever. I was so afraid to forget even one part of the story because mm -hmm. our stories become so much part of our identities. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, it mattered so much to me to remember it. And then when I had children, and of course, I got all the feedback that I should never have children, that even if, you know, somehow I had overcome what I had been through, that I would, of course, pass it down to my children. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> right. people have strong opinions about people <laughs> that they think that they have, you know, some power over. Um, when I had my children, I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel that need to punish them or hurt them. In fact, the opposite. Mm -hmm. I felt the opposite. And when I gave birth to my daughter, she's a tiny die. She's exactly like me. She looks like me. She acts like me. She's just so on fire with questions and personality and everything that when I met her, I felt this 
not even just mama bear rage, but like this rage for like my, the child that I had been, right? I felt this just absolutely righteous rage building within me where I felt like you lying, you know, fill in your expletive, mm -hmm. right? I was just mm -hmm. like, this was never about me. This was never my fault. And it changed so much about how I thought about what I'd been through. And that mm -hmm. of course started the last six years of like super healing journey. So mm -hmm. I started the book to just journal it and mm -hmm. like internalize the stories. And then the next thing I knew, I was building a book and I wanted to get the anger out. I wanted to get the rage out. I wanted to get the joy and the love and the excitement at being alive. And, and that just became the book. And every time I wanted to make a choice to sort of hide and feel shame, I tried to remember that somebody else needed to see that story. And mm -hmm. I just wrote it. So yeah. I feel very naked out in the world right now. I will be honest, <laughs> but like also, I'm getting a lot of really good feedback from people that feel like they're, that I see them, that somebody sees them, that somebody else went through that. And that has made all the difference in terms of taking the next step each day, right? Like, whew, I'm telling you, it is not easy. I'm scared every day, but also I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit happy every day. Like, like people are taking a part of the story, like people are taking a rock my shoulders and walking away with it, you know? So um, that's the very long answer to how the book. <laughs> that is a very beautiful answer. You're amazing. I'm just about to cry. So oh, please do what you need to do. <laughs> I would um, say don't cry, but like I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to get better about not like stifling people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's very touching and it is the, you know, writing your book is what I would call in therapy, a coherent narrative. Yes. Putting it together, putting your truth together, really yes. looking at it, Yes. getting it out there. And then like the beauty is the boomerang, right? It's coming back to you that it is like a story everyone else, not everyone, but other people right. have experienced and it's so validating, right? And so yes. great. I mean, I actually wrote a book too, and it was the other journey, right, of parenting. Right his difficult beginnings and I get the same thing you know like I felt like I was alone in this like nobody's experiencing things like this and then I write this book and then people are like I think you're reading my mind I find right. I think you're reading my mind you wrote right. my story you wrote my book yeah exactly yeah, no, yeah. I, I think we feel like we need to suffer in silence and and have these things be shaming for us but in reality I think so many more of us are going through similar or adjacent things than even we know. And that really the only way to heal and the only way to build strength is to build community. So okay. I think that I think you went exactly the right way. And I'm just, again, so, so stunned that you could not, I could not have plotted it out better. Like, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so thrilled for you. Okay. Calming down now. Okay. So, how do people follow you? How do people engage with you? How do you, how do people work with you? What, what are sort of the next steps? Well, I would like to invite, you know, parents, foster parents, uh, adopted parents, and frankly, parents to, um, to come to my podcast. I have a podcast. I'm just starting it. 
Um, I've had a membership online. I invite people to come to the membership if they really need support. Um, they can get to both of those things through my website and it's called unmutedlove.com. So they can get there other ways, but lovemattersparenting.com also, that's the best way to sort of get everything. And um, it's, it's like a comprehensive bunch of different services. So kind of whatever level you need services at, we try to provide it here. And because we really believe what we say, you know, love does matter, love for yourself, love for your kids and parenting from that place, that core place, love for both, right? Changes, changes that brain that got harmed into a healed brain, as you know. Yes. As you know. Yes. Love so, makes all the difference, you're right. It does. And that's it. That's all, right? It's, I mean, it's big. It's big. It's a big, <laughs> it's a super big journey. And I have a super big mission, right? But, yes. um, but I'm on it and I, yeah. I love it. And the people who are in the membership love being there. They love the community, right? Same thing. Yes. Yes. They have other people who are experiencing the same big baffling behaviors they don't understand. And they have a whole community of people who get love matters, right? Love yes. matters. We are hell bent. So excuse me. No, please. To be on that path, right? Yes. To be on that path and to get off of a traditional parenting um, you know, it, it has to hurt to be a kid. Yes. It's like, yes. That's it. Yeah. Well, see, I volunteer to be on your podcast. I volunteer to come on and chat with like, yes, I want to keep talking about this. So yeah, don't go away. I'm, I'm, I'm getting on board. Um, okay. I'm so so, happy you're doing this, by the way. I just, I'm really, I'm really so happy you're doing it. I'm so happy to meet you and hear your story. And I hope you're book just flies off wherever <laughs> they are because I don't know if they're on shelves anymore but you know I what know, I mean right? <laughs> what people are doing it. anymore not me I'm old all right um okay I am just I'm so grateful to have spoken with you so please do please do put me on your podcast and please do email mm -hmm. me constantly with everything because I would <laughs> love to keep talking about this with you okay I am okay. going to wrap us up so if you'd just give me one second here to finish out here. Um, so thank you to everyone for joining us um, as we conclude our second Indomitable Conversations session, which was amazing. I want to extend my deepest appreciation for, to all of you for joining us today. Your presence and engagement have added tremendous value to this important discussion. So I have more series coming this week. I encourage you to join us tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern when we will be hearing from the Indomitable Sherelle Starr. Sherelle is also a former foster care youth and uses her platform to advocate for the needs of foster care youth across the country. She is, she is the featured subject in the film Feeling Wanted, which is a foster care story that recounts her years in care. The award-winning documentary by Yasmin Mystery has been a training tool for the child welfare organizations around the world. Her foster care journey has also been profiled by Humans of New York, which inspired readers to donate more than $140,000 to support youth in care. She's an incredible person, and I am grateful to have her sharing her light with us. Of course, I want to thank C again for all of her amazing work and dedication on behalf of all of us foster children who are survived the system and the families who love them. And for those who haven't had a chance yet, I invite you again to get your copy of Indomitable, A Foster Care Story. This is it right here. It is so fancy. I'm very excited about it. 
Um, your support not only furthers our mission, but it also allows you to delve deeper into the stories that really shape us.